This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Let's go ahead and stand together, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and we're going to read together. The reason we stand as we read Scripture together is because we want to stand in a posture of respect and listening. So I I, I challenge you, tune your ears into the voice of the Lord. Can we say amen to that? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your fathers and mothers. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Um, we have been going through the book of Ephesians together, and I, I'm going to tell you, we are winding up our time together in Ephesians. We just hit chapter 6, and it's going to go quick from here. And I will say that Ephesians has been a great joy for Pastor Wayne and I to preach through. Uh, one of the cool things is today, as I'm preaching in here about parenting and children and, and, and pre- preaching this section of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, Pastor Wayne is over in our our, our, our kids' ministry, uh, loving on our kids. And uh, I, I hope that that models something for us today. As elders, we try to go once a month and rotate and be with the kids. Because I, I'm going to tell you this, as you're going to see in this text, children are a gift from God. They're a gift from God. And just saying that in our world can be completely opposite of everything we hear in the world around us. And so we want to love our kids, and just to think of Pastor Wayne over there with them, teaching and loving on them, I I hope that you know, if you bring your kids here and you have children here, uh, when they go to that children's ministry, they're going to be loved on, because they are gifts from the Lord. One of the things that uh, I want to set you up for as we're teaching on this um, is that I want you to expect less than you do, okay? I need to lower your expectations. This will be the worst parenting talk that you have ever heard in your life, okay? You will leave here with no tools. You will leave here with no advice. And you will leave here today with a complete brokenness and a need for God to help you in your parenting. I actually think that's the best parenting talk you could ever have. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of parenting advice. Um, Any parent who's actually a parent, if you call for advice, will say, I don't know, let me pray for you, you know? I had uh, one of, uh, of the members here call me and say, Pastor, I need help. My kid is struggling. And, and he's telling me all the things, and he's asking me for advice. And I said, man, I cannot help you at all. But I can tell you this. Here's some things I've tried. Let me pray for you. And, uh, man, I pray that you would know your kid, and, and God would give you wisdom. And we spent time praying together. And then later on, he told me he got upset by the conversation because he was calling me for pastoral advice, right? And uh, I gave him none except prayer and, uh, and uh, asking the Spirit to move. And so if you are expecting some sort of pastoral parenting advice and 12 keys to parenting your kids, 
this will be a complete disappointment for you. But I will tell you this. What will happen today is I'm going to go after our hearts. I'm going to go after our hearts. And I'm going to pray that you will, as families, be so broken by sin and so broken by the destruction of what's happening in our world and culture that you will find yourself so broken that you are actually closer to the kingdom than you realize. And asking the Spirit of God to help us. Church, we need to find ourselves in places of weakness so that we could cry out to God to come and heal our hearts and restore our families. Our, our, our families need the Spirit of God to come and meet with us. And so hopefully by the end of today, we will find ourselves crying out to God, asking for Him to come and meet with us. As we've been going through Ephesians together, there's a couple things I want you to remember. All things have been broken because of sin. Everything that should be one has been separated from sin. So chapter 1, he lays out this glorious vision that because of sin, heaven and earth, which was one thing, one thing, heaven and earth, no separation between heaven and earth, was separated because of sin. Heaven and earth, there was a cosmic separation. But in Christ, heaven and earth will be brought back together and made one again. Chapter 2 shows us that because of sin, God and man have been separated. There was this oneness in the covenant that God made with his people. And, and they were walking together and communing together and fellowship together and ruling together. But because of sin, it's all been broken. But in Christ, we have been restored back into relationship with God. Can I hear the church say amen? It's something that, that can preach, you know. You're gearing up to, to hear about parenting. I'm trying to get you excited about Jesus right now. <laughs> Give me an amen while you can, you know. <laughs> and then you see that the gospel even goes much more than just a relationship with God in heaven and earth. All of our relationships have been broken because of sin. Sin separates God's children, God's people. And so we see in chapter 3 and 4, he spends a lot of time talking about the greatest testimony of the work of Christ that the world will know that we are his is if we walk in unity and love and a relationship with one another. And so he talks about how we as the church should live in unity. When we are as divided as we are, it's hard for us to preach the gospel when we can't even live the gospel. We can't even walk in love and unity with one another. And so he talks about striving in unity and living as the family of God. And Jesus taking down the walls of hostility so that the church, all nations, all tribes, all peoples could live. And then chapter 5, it goes even closer to home. It talks about husbands and wives have been separated because of sin. Sin separates us who are supposed to be one flesh, but separates us into two. That the two become one, but in sin, 
We talk about us just as separate. And what the gospel does is bring us, husbands and wives, into unity with one another. And then chapter 6 even goes to another place and talks about the relationship of children and parents. You see, all of this is Jesus bringing together all that has been separated. And so I want to remind you of this, and I want you to remember what we can get messed up here because kingdom language, direction, and shape is disorienting for the cultural Christian. And so here's what I mean. When you are uh, absorbed into the culture and all of your language and your direction and the shape of your life is shaped by the culture, when you hear Christian kind of kingdom words, you think, wait, that's a cuss word. That doesn't submit. Oh, no, 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 uh uh-uh. So we, we start hearing words like love and submit and humility, and we start thinking of them through our cultural lenses, or we start hearing of, of directions, and we want to elevate ourselves, but in the kingdom, it's about humbling ourselves, and it's this downward direction and not this upward climbing the top of the totem pole. And the shape is different. And we talked about this, and I want to bring this back because what we can see is in the, king, in the culture that we live in, everything's about triangles. Who's at the top, right? Who's at the top is the strong. Maybe a different color would help. The strong is at the top, and the weak is at the bottom. So we went through all of these. Everybody kind of looks at marriage and business and all of these things, and they think what we're talking about, well, oh, obviously you must think husbands are at the top and wives are at the bottom and majorities at the top and the minorities at the bottom. And when they're thinking of all these kinds of reconciliation talks, they're like, we've got to keep the weak down, and the weak are trying to close all their way to the top because we live in a world in this kind of triangle world where everything is about those who are on the bottom need to get to the top and those who are at the top need to keep everybody down. But the kingdom messes with us because it's not just turning the triangle. We think, oh, in the kingdom, it's an upside down kingdom and the triangle gets on its flipped upside down, and Jesus is like, no, it's not an upside down kingdom. It's actually a completely different shape. It's a circle. The kingdom of God is not about flipping this upside. It's completely different shaped. It's this circular reality. It's this covenant language, which means in a circle, how do you know what the top is? You don't. There's no top. Is this the top? Well, I guess it's the top because it's north. Right? But I just turned it around and it still looks the same. In a circle, there's no top and bottom. It is all this oneness. It's the eternal reality. And so in the kingdom, when you're talking about husbands and wife, they're already equal image bearers of God. But they have these different roles. Equal doesn't mean sameness. So here we are fighting for equality when equality in the kingdom is already there. 
It's already a reality. But when we start talking about this equality, we talk about who Jesus is. He goes, I don't even, Jesus says, he didn't think of equality with God something to be grasped. Why? Because he already was. He is God. He didn't strive after equality. He went after this humble position and humbled himself all the way to the point of death. It's that downward direction that gets the circle moving. If you want movement in a circle, everybody's got to be moving the same direction. And the direction is downwards. In covenant, it's a fight to go to the bottom, to humble yourself. And it gets momentum going. But when everybody's fighting their way to the top, you move nowhere. And so in this, what we started to see is that things change when we understand that there is a different view in the world than what Paul is addressing in Ephesians. So let's look at this. There's a cultural view of children. And there's a couple ways that people look at children. One is they look at them with a low view, so there's a bottom view of looking at them, and they think of children as a burden or a curse. Hmm. In our culture, there is a predominant view where children are seen as less than human. Why? Because they don't pay no bills. Their money pits, their distractions. I can't tell you how many people are making financial decisions of why they don't have children. Children take away from the family in most people's minds. Children suck on the life of the family. They're less than human because they can't pull their weight In the world that we live in, which is not a covenant reality, by the way, in the world that we live in, because we are not in covenant with one another, we are all about ourselves. The way we see children is we talk poorly about them, we neglect them, and we bash on them. And culture has decided that they are so much not humans that if they get in the way of our careers and if they get in the way of our personal development, then we should just sacrifice them. There's extreme forms of sacrifice, which is this reality of they're not human. They're actually a choice of whether we want to keep them or not. And so much so that they become our choice of whether we want to keep them or not. And even if we choose to keep them, we have zero responsibility other than just paying their bills. Can I just tell you this? I have no uh, doubt that there are the vast majority of you in this room who were raised in that kind of context and have deep childhood wounds because you were seen as a child as less than human. And you have experienced what it is like to be seen as nothing because you're not pulling your weight 
to be seen as a slave and just one who should, uh, who should just do what you're told and just fall in line and just be quiet. And it's no, uh, it's no uh, surprise to me that because of that and we move into our kind of independence and we get off on our own and then we have children and all of a sudden we perpetuate that same thing. I, I, I will tell you this, it is a demonic view when I hear Christians talk about their children as burdens and curses. Can, can I just help you with something? I have five kids. And uh, the more kids you start having, the more responses you get when you tell people how many kids you have. Somebody goes, how many kids you got? I got five. And they're like, dear Lord, God bless you. Uh, do you know how that happens? And I'm like, that is the dumbest question I've ever heard in my life. Of course I know what it happens. That's why I keep having all these kids, right? <laughs> do you know how it happens? <laughs> you need to get a TV. I already got a TV. But I've been Netflixing and chilling before Netflix even came out. I made up Netflix and chill, you know what I mean? Five kids, and, and every time, right in front of my kids, I have had people dehumanize them, and I refuse to laugh at it because it's not funny. I tell people, listen, I am far more blessed to have five kids. They are not a burden. I can't, can I, can I just tell you this? When your kids hear that kind of language, it's no wonder they want to get out of your house as fast as they can. They've spent all of their time being dehumanized, and the moment they start feeling like a human, they're getting out from underneath you. They've been oppressed under your leadership. They've been used as tools rather than gifts. You've, to their faces, called them burdens and worse. I've, I've heard horrific stories, and many of them come from wounds that you have experienced as children. In the world that we live in, we have taken on a demeanor that our children are burdens and curses until they can start pulling their weight. And the reality is there's another view that's equally as demonic, and that is making our children idols and putting them at the top of the pyramid. So there's some people who just need another thing to worship, right? And so they take their kids, and instead of bringing them into the covenant, they make them the point of the covenant. And they put them at the top. Some of you were raised in a home where you knew your parents' hopes, dreams, and desires rested in your success. Everything about their lives only mattered if you succeeded. And so they put all this pressure and you felt the burden of being raised in a home where you were worshipped and not led. 
Oh, man, they put you in the best schools. They paid all of this, and they did all of this, and they emptied their bank accounts, and they drove you around, and they had you miss anything that had to do with kingdom things, and they put you in all of this because they need you to get a scholarship, and they have this and this, and they're driving you around, and your mom's your taxi, and your dad's your bank account. And everything you need and everything you want and everything you desire and everything you go for. And, and, and all of the sudden, you grow used to, as a child, being worshipped as an idol. And then when it's time to go, your parents have no meaning in life. Because you were their identity. That's equally as dangerous. Because the reality is, in the kingdom, children are seen as a gift who are brought into the covenant. In the circle, children don't come in at the bottom and they don't come in at the top. They come into the covenant, meaning everything that is mine is theirs. And everything that is theirs is mine. And they get to enjoy all that is in the covenant. And can I tell you this? It is sad that the church of America has perpetuated the same family dynamics. Meaning, even in the church, we have pastors who would love to have gigantic congregations, but no kids. They walk around neglecting their kids, but they want huge congregations. And let me tell you why. Because they don't see the church as their family just as numbers in a pew. They take no responsibility to raising their congregation. All they want to do is have tithe dollars and big budgets and butts in the seats. Because I'm going to tell you this, if you as a pastor want to care for the family of God, the, the, the place in which qualifies you to be a pastor is how you care for your family. Why? Because if I step into this role and somebody comes into this family, I don't just go, wow, this is all. I go, man, I feel more of a weight, not just I, I care about your spiritual health and your growth in Christ. You see, in this church, when, when people are added into this family, it's exciting, but it's also a bigger responsibility. You see, children are a gift, and inside of that culture and inside of that way, we have many Christians who are trying to figure out how to raise their kids, and here's the reality. They are shocked when their child grows up and heads off as far from Christianity as possible. Why? I taught them better. I can't tell you how many parents... I've heard, I've taught them better. I, I told them. I brought them to church when we weren't busy. I dropped them off at youth group. I did all the things I was supposed to do. I told them to love Jesus, but they never watched you love Jesus. And they're shocked when their kids want nothing to do with the kingdom and nothing to do with the gospel, and there's this deep shock that comes. Why? Because they think of themselves as teachers rather than parents. Scripture makes a distinguishing 
note between teachers and parents when Paul says there's tens of thousands of teachers and not enough fathers. There's so many people who want to get in a pulpit and tell people what to do. There's so many people that want to just tell their kids what to do and teach them. You should listen to me. You should obey me. You should follow me. But fathers have a different responsibility. Parents have a different responsibility. I can't just walk away. I got to enter in. I got to care for. I got to walk alongside. I got to walk with. This kingdom reality puts us into this place of going inside of this. You have parents, right? You have kids. Put them wherever you want in the, in the circle, and it's all going to change, and this is messy, but you're, you're following me, right? And you have, you have church, all of this brought into this covenant, and when everybody is humbly moving and the circle is moving, it's because everybody is moving in the same direction. They're humbling themselves, and inside of that, they're serving one another. And so here's what I want you to remember in this, right? Write these couple of things down. Children are a gift who are brought into covenant. Can you say amen to that? Children are a gift who are brought into covenant, and here's what this means. They come into the covenant of your marriage. They come into the covenant of your family, which means everything that comes as a part of that covenant comes to them. You remember in Luke chapter 18, I won't spend a lot of time here because I, I got to move, right? Now they are bringing infants to Jesus that they might touch him, and the disciples saw it, and they rebuked him and said to Jesus, and they rebuked the, the families for being, but Jesus called them and said, let the children come to me and don't hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, sir, enter into it. So here's the part that I want you to notice about covenant reality that Jesus is trying to teach to them. He's showing them that children are fully human and not just fully human examples in the kingdom. This messes with our systems. It messes with our triangles. Because what we do is we see the weak, the helpless, and the vulnerable as dependent and less than human because they have to depend. So we see people groups, other genders. We see uh, those who are weaker. We see all these kinds of things. Whatever the weaker vessel, whatever the weaker minority group is, whatever the weaker is, the poor, the marginalized, the child, whoever is weaker, we see them as less than human and we tell them they're not going to be fully human until they become independent, not dependent. Can I, can I just say something that might hurt some of y'all's feeling, but I hope, I hope it does. We have a lot of people from many cultures, many tribes, many tongues, many nations. And in this church, we have tried to be an advocate for the weak, the poor, the vulnerable, the helpless. We have spoken up for minority groups. We have spoken up for those who have less finances. We have spoken up for, for, for uh, women who are being abused and abandoned. We have spoken up for them. But, but there is a group of people that don't seem to have a voice and are probably the most persecuted group, and that's children. There are children who are being abused and abandoned and talked down to and oppressed and have no voices 
in all nations, in all tribes, by all genders and all peoples, rich or poor. And I just want to be bold in saying this. They are fully human and fully loved and examples to us of what we will have to become in the kingdom if we want to be part of it. They're closer to the kingdom than we are. They understand what it means to be fully dependent and fully trusting and fully vulnerable. They're loved, they're valued, and they need a family. And we need to stop hindering them and stop keeping them from Jesus and stop putting weights and burdens on them that they can't carry. They're not less than human because they can't pay your bills. And Jesus gives a harsh warning in the following text to say, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it's better if you just put a millstone on your neck and be cast into the sea. When the weak and the vulnerable get abused and oppressed, God's heart, his father heart, you're messing with daddy. And he's not laughing at your jokes. Because these children are a gift. And I would pray in this house, we would see a couple of things. First is this. Children have responsibility in the covenant. Here's what you see when it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Here's something that some of us don't do. We don't actually put responsibility on our kids because we don't think they can handle responsibility. But in the kingdom, God puts responsibility. He says, here, look at this. Children, you have a responsibility in this covenant, right? You are not... A, a, a part of this covenant and have nothing that you have to bring to it. So many of us use this, these excuses like, oh, they're just kids. Watch yourself. Watch yourself. They are children, yes. Yes, they are just kids. But there's no just in the kingdom. We're not just human. I hear that all the time. Oh, I'm just a man. I'm just human. Yes. But God raises the value of humanity in the gospel. So when they are called to do two things, obey and honor. And I can hear some of y'all parents say, why aren't the kids in here for this sermon? This sounds like, a, this sounds like something pastor needs. Why is he going off on us? My kids are the problem, right? Maybe I'll go in there at second service and yell at your kids. You know what I mean? <laughs> Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. I want you to notice a couple things. Your kids should never obey you because you deserve it. They will only begin to obey you because they're doing it in worship to the Lord. We talked about this last week, right? Or the last couple of weeks. Women don't submit to their husbands as a declaration of their worth. They don't say, I'm worthless, so I have to submit. They go, this is worship unto the Lord. You only do these kinds of things in response 
to your relationship with God. So inside of our hearts as parents, here's what we can do. We can't look at our kids and go, I'm this, so do this for me. Because what, y'all, when you say those statements, I I get where you're going. I've been there with you. But can can we all admit you kind of walk away and go, I have a big log in my eye I should have dealt with before I said that, right? They owe me nothing. I have actually done quite a bit of damage. And if your children ever listen and ever obey and walk in godliness, I pray that you give glory to God for it. I want my kids to know that every time they obey me, they're honoring and obeying me, not because I deserve it, but because that is an act of worship. And this act of worship, I love how God does this with children. He goes, listen, obey them and honor them. And then he says, this is the first commandment with a prize. He kind of gives them a prize, right? He goes, you do this, got a prize for you. Such a good dad. He's such a good father. He's going, look, obey these crazy parents that I put you under. Honor them as you're honoring me. And there's a prize for you. It's going to go good for you. And you're going to live long. Now, Because your children aren't in here, or maybe they are, or some of you in this room are children, and all of you are still children in one way, this still falls on us. I still feel the weight of this. What does it look like for me as a grown-up child to honor my parents, to, to love them, to listen to them? Secondarily, I want you to look at the actual earth-shattering gospel news, <laughs> Here's what's earth-shattering about this text. Not that children should obey and honor their parents. There's nothing earth-shattering to that. Everybody expects that in every culture. But the earth-shattering news that will blow your mind is the same earth-shattering news that was in the husbands and wife section. This was the earth-shattering news that parents actually have a servant role in this. You want to be the greatest in the kingdom? you got to learn to be a what? A servant. All of a sudden, Paul puts on the parent. Now, the reason I say parent is not just, even Ezra this week, we were studying this text together, and Ezra said, I love that he just said husbands and wives are one flesh, and then he refers to both of them as fathers. Now, that is some theological insight right there. He says they're one flesh, And he's not just saying just dads here. He's actually referring to husband and wife as one flesh, walking and ruling together, one new man. There's this parental role, but he's keying in for sure on the weight that comes upon a father. Here's what he says to the father. Here's the earth-shattering role that we fall into. Parents have this gift given to them, and they are called to a couple of things. But I want you to remember, a parental role is a humble role, not a elevated boss role. Not the top of the pyramid, but in covenant with. It says this, fathers, do not provoke 
your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so here's where I'm going to try to land the plane. And I already went too long screaming. I got to make a note for next service not to yell so much. Okay, good, good, good. Thank you. Okay, here we go. Here's what, he, here's what our command is. Do not provoke them to wrath, but raise them. Um, when I was studying this text this week, I was wrecked. I do not stand up here um, having any advice to offer, but I'll tell you what did happen. I ran to my father. I ran to God in repentance and humility to ask him ways that I could grow in this. Here's how you provoke somebody. You treat them as less than you. You treat them as if you're, your, you're their boss and everything you say is right and everything they say has no merit. We see no value in them, so what we try and do is just control them and what we end up doing is provoking them. I have seen the worst examples of parents getting in the face of their kids and provoking them, dehumanizing them. I have seen the worst examples of parents acting like kids, getting in the faces of their kids and calling them names Provoking them and laying upon them this burden of just because there's no reason, just because I'm your dad, I'm your mom, I'm your dad, just because that's it. You know, we've lost the battle, families. <laughs> When the only thing we can resort to is, I know I'm not worthy of any other love and respect, but just do it just because, just because, just because I've said. There's a deeper heart level issue. Church, I think we should spend much time asking ways in which we've provoked our children. But here's our role, not to provoke them. So here's the thing that I think is interesting. God doesn't want us to like provoke them, control them, and fulfill our dreams through them. But what he does want us to do is discipline them and instruct them. So this is more about creating an environment of the gospel in which they're brought into a covenant where they see uh, that they are a part of and equal with and into this covenant family, but they're also cared for. This is not just you go raise yourself, parenting. You hear me? 
This is not just, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to pray with you. No, this is an environment in which we take them by the hand and we walk along the path and we, we share our weaknesses. We share our lives. We give instruction. We discipline when they need correction. We, we show them love by discipline. You discipline those you, you love. You pray about it. When you go overboard, you're humble enough to, to repent. It's all about this, this place in which you are depending upon on Jesus and which you are calling your family to defend upon Jesus and you're walking in this way of humility and you're walking in this covenant life and we know that that is a messy reality. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Parents, I, I, I hope you hear me today that the worst thing I could do is, is try to give you 10 practical steps. I'm going to give you a couple though. Here's one. Pray. Well, that's earth-shattering, isn't it? Have you ever actually thought to go to the best dad ever to ask for what to do with your kid? There is something refreshing about hearing parents praying in weakness. The most humbling times in my life, and I will say this, I, I had the advantage of walking out into times of hearing my parents early in the morning praying. I had that advantage. I saw them in weakness and in pain and in suffering, and I've seen them in sin, and I've seen them in all these places. The reality is that stuff was never hidden from me. But no matter how great of parents they are, can I just tell you this? My dad's sitting right there, so I'm going to confront you today, sir. No. No matter how great of parents there was, all of us as children have ways in which we would see, man, I wish this would have happened. I wish this could have happened. I'm, and I, what you want to know what I learned from that? No matter how good I do, my, parents, my kids are going to see brokenness and frailty and sin in me. And I am never going to be left in a place where I can go, I did a great job. So I pray that when it comes to that time, because it will, when my kids feel separated from me or these kinds of realities, that I would have a sense within me where I would recognize that humility and prayer and the Spirit. Church, I, I hope that today you go, man, I got to pray more and ask for the Spirit's help. Can I give you another one? No matter how good you do, some kids still go off into rebellion and brokenness. Why? Because they have responsibility in this covenant too. Don't put all the weight on yourself. Can you hear me on this? Some of you are like, man, I tried the best that I could and my kids still went off and, and did these things and you're beating yourself up because you thought you could save them. But what this does is put some responsibility on your kids. Yes, repent. Yes, be humble. But also pray for your child's repentance. 
because no matter how good or bad we do, Jesus still needs to be the Lord of their life if they're going to be the children they need to be. There's kind of a good story for that. There's a, a story about a dad who has two sons. He's actually a really good dad. Very wealthy, and one of the sons goes, I wish you were basically dead and I could have all your stuff now. The father doesn't go, no, you're staying here. I'm your dad and you should listen to me. He actually gives him everything and lets him go. Lets him run off. He doesn't control him. He doesn't try to keep him. He doesn't try to just inflict his rules on them. He actually sacrifices everything and lets him run into sin and brokenness and waits. And then there's another son that stays. And when the other prodigal son runs back and, and repents, the father's like, no, you're not a slave. You're a child, right? I've been waiting for this. Listen, sin couldn't satisfy you, that, that, that whole thing. And I've been waiting for you. And he wraps his arms around him, throws a party. He doesn't even hold over him. No, you got to pay me back. He brings him in. But then there's another child outside going, that's not fair. Church, that example is, is what we see in the heart of our Father God. He, he knows that even though he's the best, good, good Father, there's still rebellion and sin within us, and that there's still pride and arrogance within others. And this whole covenant reality takes something other than trying to control people with fear. It takes love. I want to share a testimony with you. Josh is waiting to sing. Sorry, Josh. I love you, bro. Um, I spent 29 years of my life at the fault of nobody preaching the gospel, being raised in a good Christian family, and I'll just tell you this. I was scared of God big time. The way I heard the gospel was that I had to follow a bunch of rules and be a really good kid. That's the way I heard it. So I tried with all of my strength, with all of my might to follow all the rules. I was the son who tried to stay home. And I thought, he owes me something. I've done all of these things. And, and it wasn't until I was 29 years old, I was preaching the gospel, but I didn't know the gospel that Jesus revealed himself to me and showed me something that I had never seen before, that I'm no longer a slave to fear. He's not a father that has provoked me and tried to control me. He's a father that wants me to love and obey him. And he has shown me that by providing for me this great love and sacrifice. He paid the price. You know what happens at the cross? He shows us this. We have an advocate. When we sin, we have this advocate with the Father. First John says, we have an advocate with the Father. When we sin, it's not about us being separate. Sin no longer separates us from, from our Father because of what Jesus has done. And not only has he provided this advocate, he has a huge bank account for the whole world that provides the payment for all the debt. Here's what he shows. Sin no longer separates us, so stop living under the fear of being separated from God because you're not following all of his rules. 
But here's the second thing. A child's not living in fear. He lives in love and obedience. What does it look like to hear his voice and do what he calls us to do? It's freedom. It's freedom. Here, here, here's where we're singing this song. Before we come to the table, I want you to pause and listen to the words of this song that Josh is going to sing because here's what I realize. Many of you are struggling with parenting because you have childhood wounds where you've been provoked and you've been controlled and you have had, uh, you have had all of these wounds where you've lived in fear of your father. And so you've been a slave to fear and you don't know what it's like to be a child of God. But the, here's what the gospel does. The gospel frees you of your childhood wounds and shows you what it's like to be a spirit-empowered parent who's fully dependent upon his father. So I'm going to ask, I asked Josh to just sing over us this song. If you know it, you can sing with him. If, you, if, if not, but I want you to just kind of wrestle with your father today. Some of you come convicted of, of your own sin, of your brokenness. And when he's done with that, we're going to open the communion tables. And then we'll end today. Father, I pray that you would come and meet with us. There are so many of us in this room who are admitting we have done it the wrong way. We have used fear and manipulation. I did it yesterday. I, I still do it. I, I, I continue to walk. But God, I pray that today you would restore the covenant in our families and that there would be a covenant of love. We pray for our kids. We pray for this time. But Father, I pray that you would come and meet with us and convict each one of us in ways that we have been controlled by fear rather than living in the freedom of the gospel. In Jesus' name. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.